Welcome to the Heart of Rural America podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Radke, an American cattle rancher and motivational speaker, raising my kids and writing children's books in South Dakota. There's a David and Goliath story unfolding in agriculture today. And I don't know about you, but my money is on the underdog, the hardworking folks who value faith, family, freedom, and their farming communities. This show will highlight the untold stories of these resilient and determined families who I have the great pleasure of meeting in my travels across this nation as an agricultural speaker. It is my hope that their stories will remind us to live with great courage because we are not alone in this fight to keep producers on the land and meet dairy and eggs on the dinner table. Now let's hit the dusty trail together as we uncover the heart of rural America. Welcome to your show. Here's my mom, Amanda Wacky. Hey everyone, it's Amanda Radke here back for another episode of the Heart of Roll America podcast, the show where we highlight great people doing inspiring things in their rural communities to strengthen agriculture and our future in rural America. Today's guest is one everybody needs to know. She is a champion for agriculture. She's a dear friend of mine. Anytime I pick up the phone, and talk to Kim Bremer. She's going to put a fire under my butt, tell me to keep fighting. And I know she's out there doing the same thing. So Kim, welcome to the show. Thanks, Amanda. Happy to be here. Tell me briefly or tell the listeners, I guess, a little about you, kind of your trajectory and and doing what you do now as a speaker, running a co-op, all of the things. Sure. I grew up on a dairy farm in northern Wisconsin. I went to UW-Madison. At the time, I had no intention of ever going into agriculture. Uh, When I left the farm, I thought, this is it. That's right when the show ER was starting, and I wanted to be an ER doctor because who didn't want to work with George Clooney? That was me (laughs) at the time. But as all of you know, if you're in agriculture, uh, there's always that pullback. So it didn't take me all that long to find my way back to the ag side of campus. Graduated Madison in dairy science and ag journalism. I worked as an on-farm dairy nutrition consultant for 15 years. And I started volunteering for a group called Common Ground. And Common Ground at the time was funded by corn and soy checkoff dollars. And it was a group of volunteer women in agriculture advocating for what we do and why we do it every day. And it was there that I really got to see the disconnect between the average consumer and their understanding of what happens on farms every day. And I was starting to get opportunities to go and speak at a number of different events, and I had to make a decision. So that's when I started my own business. Egg Inspirations, since, let me see, I've been doing this since uh, 2015. Traveling, speaking about agriculture. I work with farm groups, non-farm groups, just out there talking about what we do, why we do it, promoting innovation in agriculture, helping protect uh, the use of science, technology, and innovation and how we grow and raise food. It's taken me to all that I think maybe four states, and it's taken me across across some waters and to China and Copenhagen and done some work in Canada, and the rest is history. Then, let me see, fast forward COVID, when you are a professional speaker, uh, you're <laughs> suddenly unemployed. Yep. Uh, and I worked with a group of farmers who wanted better advocacy at the Capitol. So we started a milk verification cooperative, which is a penny and a half, a hundred weight. And fast forward now, that's been, what, three years, four years. 
And I also run a milk verification co-op called Venture. So I do advocate at the Capitol, but I also do a lot of work at town and county board meetings, helping farmers with issues that they're having there across Wisconsin. Well, and Kim and I have had the great pleasure of speaking at events together. And I will say I have a very short list of speakers that I trust that I think are real, true, authentic champions for ag. And Kim, you are definitely one of those people. So I'm just so grateful to know you and to have you in my corner. Talk to me about what's going on in the dairy industry right now. I mean, we're losing 2,300 family dairy farms each year in this country. I mean, they're, they're getting squeezed out faster than you can shake a stick. What's going on in the dairy world and, and how can folks be more aware of what's going on? It's such a loaded <laughs> question, I know. I didn't know we were having drinks over lunch. I mean, <laughs> Well, and I, I agree. drink. We can pause. We can grab you one, but <laughs> I agree. You are also a fierce champion of agriculture, and we cannot have enough people doing that. So, of course, I always want to encourage anyone who wants to get engaged to please do so. As far as the dairy industry, what's the struggle? It's it's challenging right now. I mean, obviously, like a lot of agricultural markets, you know, markets are volatile. They're down. Milk price is terrible. We had a a change in the farm bill last round where some milk price formula, part of the formula was changed uh, really without anyone necessarily knowing it. It was supposed to be not a big deal. Changing from, not to get into the strict details, but changing from the higher of to the average of class three and four pricing of milk and it caused a major loss in our industry. So there's discussion about going back to that. Obviously markets are tough. Labor, like everywhere, is tough. Cost of inputs is up. Inflation is causing a rising cost of everything that we do every day. I mean, it's the struggle is real. And I think we're going to continue to see either, you know, kind of both ends of the spectrum. I think we'll continue to see consolidation of farms. I've seen neighbors going together, joining farms together uh, just to try and capture more efficiencies for a business plan on on bulk buying of things. Uh, so I think we'll continue to see consolidation of farms, farms growing a little, and then we'll see uh, maybe niche marketing on farm type processing, those types of things. But man, it's tough out there. It is. Early when this show got started, I had interviewed a dairy producer that essentially the co-op that they were working with had just said like, uh, we're going to stop picking up your milk. Like it was a very ab abrupt situation. And of course, the big guys were easier to go grab and easier to work with. And what happens to these little ones is they just get bought out for pennies on the dollars and gobbled up by the big guys. Are you seeing that? Like, does the family dairy farm have any leverage in the marketplace anymore? I would say it, it's, it's hard to find any leverage no matter what size, because all the cards lie with your processor. We continue to see more quote unquote voluntary regulations coming through the farm program, farmers assuring responsible management. Yep. Uh, that started many years ago. So we continue to see, you know, this something I'm really passionate about is trying to promote innovation within agriculture, but not through regulation. I am a firm believer that regulation kills innovation. And there's a lot of people that don't agree with that. I mean, obviously regulators, right? I see a lot of, I mean, smaller farms going out of business for a number of reasons. Uh, it's hard to compete, absolutely. It's hard work. When you ask dairy farmers and producers why they grew, 
uh, a lot of times it's it's more of a story than a simple answer. It might be, I wanted to be able to go to more of my kids' games. I wanted better hours, different hours. I wanted to capture, I wanted to be a size where I could afford some employees so that I could get some time off. It really is a business plan, but it is difficult. I mean, we all romanticize about um, this very uh, picturesque uh, red barn, small farm, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, I don't think people who romanticize it, romanticize about it understand the hard work that that really truly is and the sacrifice you have to make to make that work. Right. I also think another important point that gets lost in the story, because a lot of people want to really hate big farms. Big farms also provide an opportunity for some of these other farms to exit the industry, to retire. Uh, sure. Because you have all of your assets tied up. Who can afford to buy it? Who's taking it over? Uh, succession planning on farms is a real challenge. We often don't see a next generation that necessarily wants to come back to the farm or wants to do that work. Mm-hmm. And it's, there's just a lot of factors involved in it. But I recognize that it's, it's easier oftentimes to try and point the finger at one or two things, but it's usually a lot of reasons. It's so nuanced. Yeah. And I, I don't want people to misinterpret my words either as I'm like anti-big guy by any means. But I just see the challenges that small family farms face. And I want to give them hope or opportunities or maybe looking at ways that hey, if you can't achieve economies of scale to compete with the big guys, how could you add value in the marketplace through innovation, through marketing, through creating products or doing things maybe outside of the box that can keep farms going and keep families on the land? And I am optimistic in a lot of ways, even though there's a lot of challenges out there, but sometimes it just takes that out of the box thinking. But you're right, it's hard work. This is not an easy life. And It's hard to sign up on that if you're losing money and you're not making money. So I guess, do you see some examples of of families that are finding new pathways for their kids and grandkids to be involved in this business? Yes. I mean, we see on-farm stores processing a percentage, if not all of your milk, but a percentage of your milk. And whether you're going to sell it as fluid milk or maybe you're making a product like cheese in Wisconsin, we make a lot of cheese. I think there are opportunities depending on how much debt load your farm carries, you know, whether it's paid for or not, what generation you are, those types of things. Maybe even working with neighbors that have larger farms. Uh, I've seen a lot of cases where farmers are able to stay and they may become the custom heifer raiser or they may still crop all the land and then sell feedback to a farm. But I certainly recognize the importance of no matter how we do it or what way we do it, our real focus needs to be keeping farms farmers on the land. Mm-hmm. And I, I think you're a huge champion of that, Amanda. The Heart of Rural America is presented to you by CK6 Consulting Services. I have the great pleasure of working alongside the CK6 team, including Chris Earle, Wes Tiamen, and Cody Fleeman, and it's an honor to assist cattle producers as they strive to meet their business goals. With a purebred Angus specialization, we have a full slate of auction sales coming up as we work to maximize price discovery and capture true value for our clients and customers. Plus, let us help you identify your next herd sire for the upcoming breeding season. At CK6 Source, you'll find great customer service, fast shipping, and a focus on leading Angus genetics. 
Learn more about what we do at ck6consulting.com and ck6source.com. We would love to assist you any way we can. God bless. Working cattle can be stressful at times, but the job is made so much easier with equipment that is safe, strong, and simply designed. I highly recommend Real Tough Livestock Equipment for all your working facility needs. We just installed the Deluxe Chute at Radke Land and Cattle, and it has been an absolute game changer as we run cows through our chute during AI season. It's durable and easy to use, and it's made to last a lifetime. Real Tough offers a wide range of products, including calving barns, panels, loading chutes, tubs, alleys, and portable working systems. Manufactured in the U.S. of A., Real Tough is family-owned and operated. Their commitment to helping farm and ranch families truly exemplifies what this show is all about. Learn more at realtough.com, that's T-U-F-F, and be sure to tell them Amanda sent you to receive an extra bonus with your order. Let's get you some iconic green Real Tough equipment headed your way. I promise you're going to love it. I think kind of what fired me up about this was watching the pandemic and seeing like our friends in the hog industry having to euthanize their pigs because the processors, the big processors were slowing down or shutting down and seeing our friends in the dairy industry having to dump their milk because either the bottles, the plastic bottles were on a ship somewhere or, you know, whatever mechanisms in the food system were falling apart that didn't allow what the farmer was doing on the land to get to the people we're trying to serve. And the only solution I can really come up with is that food security goes back to having a really robust, diverse food system. And that means many families dotted across the country. And so I, it really does make me sad and worried to see dairies going out of business because I, I want one on every street corner, just like I want a rancher on every street corner. And maybe for me, I guess where I focus on, and you mentioned it, is creating that product, doing that value-added egg, where it's one day I see a future where people aren't like, yeah, I just went to the grocery store and picked up everything. They're like, oh, I went to the Radkeys and I picked up my steaks and I went over here and I picked up my cheese curds. And, and, and it's almost becomes like a bragging thing, like, because people are more connected to the land. I know that doesn't feed the world, but to me, it builds these relationships and it allows farmers to get a premium when they're going for that consumer retail dollar. Is it possible or am I just, am I weaving a fairy tale? I've been told I weave a fairy tale once in a while. Well, you know, I'm never going to say you're weaving a fairy tale. Uh, I too am. I too am a dreamer. So no one will ever take that out of us. I think there's always an opportunity. It's just being brave to do it and finding the means. And it's a dog eat dog kind of world. I would say my my biggest concern always is, and and I wish more than anything that we could figure out cheaper ways for on-farm processing. I mean, it is expensive. You start right. buying steel. But remember, my big concern is always regulations. And I mm -hmm. see really scary regulations all the time coming. I mean, I mentioned the farm program. I just sat through a carbon conference listening to a sustainability person from Nestle talking about there's a real possibility someday, not too far in the future, where there will be a carbon footprint number associated with every farm. So if you're selling milk, you're going to get paid a premium for butter, fat, and protein. For your dairy producers listening, watching, you know, that's a wink, wink, right? Those premiums yep. continue to dwindle. 
but you will be paid on your carbon number. That kind of thing really scares me because those are the regulations that put the smallest producers out of business first. Mm-hmm. Because what are you going to do? I mean, we're talking paperwork. We're talking an additional practical staff member on most farms. How do you manage that? What do you do? All those types of things come with this unintended consequence. And the regulatory community thinks they're doing the right thing and we're protecting the environment and the list can go on and on. When in all reality, over nine times out of 10, we're putting people out of business through regulation. And I don't see that slowing down. The hairs on the back of my neck stood up as you started talking about this carbon stuff because it's everywhere now. And I have farmers and ranchers and associations and industry leaders that look at me with a straight face and they say to me, Amanda, we know this is bogus science, but there's money to be had and we're going to go get it. It's just the way of the world now. Well, I'm sorry, I'm not going to sign on for ESG scores, environmental social governance. I don't want every cow to have a carbon score. That admits guilt on our part, and we have no guilt. And it's paying people and rewarding people who produce nothing. They're getting government dollars to produce nothing and and to punish the people who are trying to feed the world. It's, It's just not something I can jump on board with. And yet, There's people in our agriculture industry that are helping this along. And I I don't know how to get that point across because money can do a lot of interesting things to people and make them buy into things that they never should. And I guess, what do you say to those people that are just falling in line to this Green New Deal agenda? Well, in our real, I mean, from a dairy perspective, our real challenge is we have no say in it because when it comes as a requirement or demand from the processor, a farmer has no voice. There's a producer I know who testified recently during the FMMO hearings, the Federal Milk Market Order hearings. Now, we can call it coincidental, but right after he testified, he was notified that his milk would no longer be picked up. Mm -hmm. Now, we can call that a coincidence, or we can just all be honest and say, if it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. Bingo. So we really don't have a voice at least not in dairy, because of the processor capacity and kind of the grip that all farmers are held on. That's, it's why you, you rarely will hear a producer even complaining to their processor. As many times as we would like to, they won't do it because there's always this fear of being dropped. It makes me so sad. And I remember one time you told me, I won't get this right, but it was comical at the time. You had said like, if they tell us we got to wear red pants and jump on one leg and quack like a duck while we milk the cows, like that's that's what we're going to do. But to kind of further prove this point, I spoke at a dairy co-op meeting in northern Minnesota a few years ago, and it was I was not aware of it, but the gal who spoke right before me, I wasn't in the room, so I didn't hear her message, but she was, you know, the big label, the dairy label that, you know, from the head honcho's office. And she had come there to tell these dairy farmers who have poured their entire lives, blood, sweat, and tears into this business, who work so hard to take care of their cows and the land and to create a good milk product for people to enjoy. And she got up there for an hour and told these producers, you're not green enough. You're going to have to do all these things to prove you're more sustainable, X, Y, Z. Well, unbeknownst to me, I got up on stage and she's sitting in the front row and I start talking about the lie 
and how the sustainability movement has been hijacked to be weaponized against the landowners and the producers. And all of a sudden I see everyone kind of perk up and I say, you're never going to be green enough for people who hate you and who don't want you to be in business anyway. And that lady stood up halfway through my speech and stormed out of the room. (laughs) I did not know why until after I was done. But the second she left the room, the whole group of, of producers applauded. They were so happy that someone finally told them, you're doing a good job. You are not destroying the planet. That is the truth. And I don't, I guess that would be my question to you. How do we reclaim the truth? Because the truth is that the a dairy cow, a beef cow is an important part of environmental stewardship and the life cycle and feeding people. How do we get back to the basics? I wish I had a playbook that we could just hand out to everyone because that is what everyone is looking for. What can we do? Give me the book. I'll turn the page and I'll check the box. I know. I wish there was one more than anything and an easy button. Mm -hmm. But I'm a huge believer in grassroots. I think everyone who is interested in this, and it should be majority of food producers, I think you have to have an honest conversation with yourself and say, okay, where can I get involved? Because we're all looking for this perfect thing to do. And it has been over time, death by a million cuts. Yeah. But we can all make a difference, even if it's a little difference, right? It's, it's crazy Amanda doing this, this beef raffle, right? I mean, that's what it is. It's, it's setting the example. It's, You don't eat an elephant all at once. You eat an elephant one bite at a time. Mm -hmm. So where can you dedicate time? Whether it is serving on a local board, town or county, whether it is getting involved in your associations. You know, I don't believe that associations start out with the intent of being harmful ever. But you have to be on the board. You have to go to the meetings. You have to speak up. And you will find that once you speak up, it gives confidence to other people to do the same. I'm sure, Amanda, you see this all the time. I see this all the time. Mm -hmm. I go to a meeting. We get sassy. It opens the door. (laughs) Everyone walks through it, right? You have to be able to take that first step. And this isn't this. We won't fix this overnight. And we have to repeat ourselves. You know, I find in agriculture, we're... Obviously, everyone's busy and we say something one time and that should be good enough, right? Right. How many times do we have to repeat that we're not the problem? How many times do we have to talk about the biogenic carbon cycle that methane's not our enemy? How many times do we have to talk about CO2 as being plant food? The answer is every damn day. Yes. Because people opposed to us are doing that. And that's why they're winning. It's just repetition. People hear things enough times and it becomes the truth. Mm-hmm. And we don't repeat it enough. And we're so worried we're going to say the wrong thing. One of the best things I ever learned from Wayne Pacelli when he was the head at HSUS, I went to a conference, Humane Society of the United States, not, not our, our friend. friend. <laughs> Thank you. Jinx. Uh, we could talk about that all day. Oh my goodness. I am going to have whiskey. I am going to have whiskey for lunch. No. Uh, The Heart of Rural America is presented in part by Lynn's Heritage Angus and Meats by Lynn's. Founded in 1963 as a Chicago neighborhood butcher shop and growing to an international supplier of high-quality beef in the white tablecloth space, Meats by Lynn's is a four-generation family-owned business. 
the Lens Heritage Angus program was developed to allow for greater control of the end product, a focus on using elite Angus genetics while also managing the feed, environment, age, and weight of the cattle allows Fred Lins and his crew the ability to source the very best beef produced from the heart of their Angus program, meeting and exceeding the needs of their customers worldwide. Discover more at linsheritageangus.com and shop for beef at shoplins.com. Use code AMANDA20 to save 20% on your next beef purchase. That's a pretty sweet deal, my fellow beef lovers. You guys know, as a beef girl, I take grilling very seriously around here. And I've been using Redmond Real Salt for over a decade to season my steaks and burgers. It's unrefined ancient sea salt exactly as nature made it. It contains 60 plus naturally occurring trace minerals, and it truly brings out the best of the beef we raise at home on the ranch. This American family-owned business also focuses on livestock products. And at Radke Land and Cattle, we are proud to use the beneficial Redmond Real Salt Minerals to get back to the basics and help our cattle improve fertility, immunity, and feed efficiency. It's natural, simple, and effective for people and livestock. Discover more at redmondagriculture.com and redmondlife.com and use code RADKEY to save. Or contact a local dealer and mention my name for a special discount. One of the things that they talked about all the time that was really compelling to me that stuck was they talk about progress over perfection. Mm -hmm. They talk about it in their marketing. They talk about it in, in everything that they do. And progress over perfection is the opposite of what we do for messaging in agriculture. We're mm -hmm. all about perfection first. I work with a lot of agricultural companies and nothing goes out until every I is dotted, T is crossed, font has been looked at by 10 people, approved by 27 more. And I'm not saying that we have to put junk messaging out, but we have to do a better job of getting messaging out because we're so worried that we're going to say the wrong thing when we're the experts. Yep. And we can't That's be where afraid. grassroots come in, right? It's like, yeah. I want to hear from the dairy farmer in his boots out there doing his thing off the cuff. There is no better advocate than the guy that's got skin in the game. He's not corporate fluff. He is the real deal or she is the real deal. Like, yeah, you, you make such a great point. I didn't mean to cut you off there because you're just, no. I'm just, yes, what you said. No, it's, <laughs> it's perfect because, and it doesn't matter who does the consumer research. I don't care what group does it. It always comes back to the same thing, that the number one trusted resource is still the farmer when we're talking about food and farming. Yeah. So everything we do, even it, when you work in agribusiness, it's how can I, as an agribusiness professional, help connect farmers to consumers? And we all can do it. I mean, look at the number of jobs that are supported by agriculture. I'm talking to all of you. We have to be able to connect the farmer voice to the consumers every day in everything mm -hmm. we do. And each of us has a unique voice. I mean, there is kind of this trend out there that you can only advocate a certain way. And I'm like, no, I'll reach different consumers than Kim will reach than whoever. Like you be yourself, you be authentic and real and transparent and people will come and they want to be a part of it. And they, they can tell real passion versus fake, 
you know, canned messaging. So just go be you. And I'm so glad you reiterated the get involved part, because I know we've talked about this privately, but people will say to us things like, well, thanks for being out there and fighting for us. And it's like, it's nice to have that support and to know people are behind you and they're like, go do it, you know, but it's like, no, I'm here to show you what the issues are and to kind of show you, maybe give you like the bravery to to go do the same thing, like be brave, go get in the arena. Because if you're relying on one lobbyist or one board of directors or one association to go out and champion for you, those things are great, but there's nobody that's going to fight harder for you than you. And your story is yours and uniquely yours. And even the smallest position in, in a local thing, that's genuinely the most important right now. And if we all did it collectively, imagine the change we could make. And I think we, you know, we're in an election year. Everybody's focused on what's going to happen in DC right now. And, and for me, I'm like, I can't, I mean, I can vote, but I can't really affect change there, but I can affect change on things happening right in my backyard. I agree with you. I mean, everyone's looking at Washington DC, which we understand is so important, but so is your local town board, county board, or whatever the, your jurisdiction is called at the local level. Uh, I know we have big elections coming up in April, and I have 29 people on my county seat, and there's several that are up, and we're talking about them and trying to get them to local meetings for with local groups to talk about agricultural issues because the attack on agriculture is happening in our rural areas as well. It's, mm -hmm. it's coming from all sides. It's in rural space because yep. it is people who have moved to rural areas to enjoy the open space but they don't always enjoy or appreciate the agriculture that's surrounding them and it comes in the form of creative road ordinances that might try and ban pieces of equipment on roads it comes in operational ordinances i know we had a big battle in northwest wisconsin over the last year about an operational ordinance in the middle of literally nowhere if anyone went to polk county wisconsin you would say this battle would never happen here yet here we are little town of lake town saying oh you can't be on the roads after 5 p.m with implements you know, trying to dictate your hours of operation. You can't have a smell that comes off of your farm. The members of our town board, which is three of them, can come on your farm at any time and do a walkthrough and decide what they like and don't like. I mean, it's insane, but here it is. So I agree. The local involvement is so important. Hanging on to that local control is so important. I have a very timely example. In South Dakota, there's a big carbon pipeline that's trying to come through. It's a foreign-backed out-of-state private company that's using taxpayer dollars and they're abusing eminent domain and slapping these condemnation papers on farms. They're suing counties. And right now in our legislative session, bill number 201 is being will be proposed here and discussed here in the next couple of weeks. And it seeks to take away local county control and give it to the state. And I'm sorry, but the, the buck needs to stop local because communities know best what's best for their towns, their counties, their communities. And that's where leadership should stem from, is from the bottom up, the closer to the individual, the better. And so these things matter. If all of a sudden we're giving up control to the state or federal level, what kind of things can, can trickle down and impact your daily life right at home in your rural communities? So things like that, I guess I'll just take this opportunity. I strongly oppose 201, encourage all South Dakotans to get involved. 
But across the country, there's things like this happening every day of the week. There are politicians that want to take control away from the local counties, the, the agricultural communities, and put it with some bureaucrat in a big office in Washington, D.C. or your state capital. That's that's just the reality. And it doesn't matter if it's a red or blue state. It's it's happening. Yes, we we have fought really hard to protect local control. And then I can say it. We can admit fault. We got lazy about sitting on those boards when you've got 72 counties or 1,276 townships and suddenly your voice is lost because we didn't sit on those boards. And yeah. I know that it's a thankless job. But again, my challenge to everyone within agriculture, agribusiness is deciding what time you can give and where you can get involved. Yeah. And it's important to have people who understand agriculture who sit on those boards. Mm -hmm. Because I'll tell you who sits on those boards, the people who've moved to the country, people that aren't so sure that they like what we do or how we're doing it. Well, and I've had people tell me, like, I'm too busy with school activities and chasing my kids. And my kids are young, but they're wrestling. They're doing 4-H. They're getting involved. And it is getting to be a busy season. So I can... I can certainly empathize with that. But what I've, I guess how I've figured out how to manage that is I bring my kids along. Like what better education can they have than going to the Capitol and listening to a debate on the floor, than going with mom to do a media interview, then sitting on a board and seeing how the civic process happens. I mean, you can learn a lot in sports and 4-H and all those things, but you can learn a lot by doing and being in rooms with adults that are decision makers and shaking their hands and be and listening to these conversations. I mean, you can still be involved with your kids, but you can create new opportunities for them that will benefit them too in the long term. And so that's the only way I've been able to figure it out because I know time is super limited. And the last thing a, a good parent wants to do is give up a week, a weeknight where they could be you know, helping their kids with homework or, or going to watch a basketball game. But if we have become so apathetic, if we have checked out so much, we will be led by people who do not have our best interests at heart. We're governed by the people who show up. Are the right people showing up? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. Absolutely. But I have so many great examples that I can think of where the tides have turned because people have gotten involved. And it takes less work than you think. Right. And all these issues, once you say it gets overwhelming, like if you dump it all and you're just like, wow, it is death by a thousand cuts. There's so many things coming at us. I don't even know which one to pick. It's like pick one and, and dedicate your time, talent and treasures to that. And it will. It'll give other people confidence to get involved, too, in their own way. And so it's like, we're not all going to die on the same hill here. Like, Kim's over there fighting different battles than I am. And yet, at the same time, we're kind of pushing things in the same direction in, in our own unique ways. And everybody can do that. Absolutely. It just... I've noticed, I haven't asked you a single question. Like, in the last 20 minutes, I'm just like, let me grandstand here. And then you say something. I don't know. <laughs> People are probably like, Amanda, what are you doing? Um, you know, we only have five minutes. to get together in person. Yeah. You, if you guys could only have listened to our last phone conversation, <laughs> driving down the road. I have the best friends. You guys have no idea. You know, we've got five minutes left in the show. Talk, talk to me about some issues you're particularly watching right now. Any call to action, ways people can get involved or follow along, get informed, things like that. Well, I think the get informed piece really, I, I think, something that's just close to mind right now is really paying attention to like the carbon discussion and these carbon markets. Yeah. Uh, and 
I mean, I recognize that there's opportunities for people in carbon markets, but because of the way, and I would say this especially to dairy producers, even though we may not agree with it, I think Amanda and I would probably be on, on page with that, we really are not turning back on it. When you listen to a company like Nestle that's worth hundreds of billions, that's with a B, dollars, say that half of their executive board bonuses are based on meeting climate goals. I mean, that's, that leads itself to very aggressive policy. My biggest thing to people is we need to figure out how to calculate carbon, our carbon footprints, whether we want to or not, because if processors are following this path that's driven, by the way, by investors, not by consumers, mm-hmm. if they're being forced, you are forced on this path. Otherwise, you won't get your milk picked up. The sooner we calculate those numbers, the better, because it's very difficult to find anywhere in the process where you get rewarded in any way for things you're already doing, which is really unfortunate because the success of agriculture over time has been built on science, technology, and innovation, and it's the things that you're doing all the time to continually improve. So what you did yesterday that was great doesn't count today. So the sooner we can get those calculations, unfortunately, I think the better for our farms, for sure, moving forward. And particular issues, you know, the NAC, the natural asset companies getting voted down, that was, or getting withdrawn, that proposal, that was a huge win. I suspect we'll see, we'll continue to see things like this roll out. You know, we are doing a victory dance, huge thanks to American Stewards for Liberty for leading the charge nationally and getting people involved and aware of it. But when you have the Securities and Exchange Commission proposing a rule that's going to list natural asset companies on the New York Stock Exchange, and that would include all federally owned land, our national parks, conservation easements that might even be on your farm, et cetera, et cetera, where elite investors in foreign countries can invest in it, that's really scary. Mm-hmm. And that's coming from an agency that agriculture normally has very little to do with. So now they have to be on our radar. And I don't think this is the last time we'll see anything like this. They actually projected that the dollars that would have been, uh, the dollars that would have come out of the establishment of these natural asset companies would have been three times the size of the U.S. economy today. I mean, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. So I think we just really have to stay vigilant and looking at what's coming out of all the agencies all the time. But that is, I'm so glad you brought that up because that is an example of a grassroots effort of people just, I am told that their website crashed from the number of producers that wrote in that were like, hey, this is insanity. This is they not. Shut it, they shut yeah. it down the day before the comments were due. So it, technically there was supposed to be one more day for comments. They shut the site down because it kept crashing because people were just writing in and it was individuals and that yep. was a grassroots effort. It was, it was people like you, like me saying, Hey, here's the address. You need to do this. Yep. And you don't have to write a page. You have to write, my name is I'm opposed. Yep. It highlights exactly what we've talked about. This whole show is that your voice matters. You can make a difference. You're not too little to stand up for the truth. When the truth is on your side, you just have to release it and set it free and it will defend itself. But if, if we're, apathetic, if we're distracted, if we have a defeatist attitude, like I've had people say to me like, oh, these people are just going to do what they're going to do. So we might as well just roll over. And to me, I'm like, no, 
because two plus two doesn't equal five. Two plus two equals four. And we will repeat it over and over again until we remind the world exactly what the truth is. So Kim, I could we could talk for hours, but I got to wrap. But uh, thank you so much for joining the show. Can you tell everybody where they can follow along on all your adventures to, to learn more about you and your work? Sure. Uh, you can follow along uh, on Facebook, Ag Inspirations, Twitter, Instagram, it's Ag Inspirations. So, and contact me anytime. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. And I hope we see each other on the dusty trail very soon. I'm sure we will. All right. While I've got you here, I would love to invite you to check out my website, amandaradke.com. Each week, I share my column, this podcast, and new items to shop for farm and ranch families including my children's books that celebrate agriculture. Use code DUSTYTRAIL to save 15% on your next purchase. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for supporting my small business and for your continued support in keeping me on the road fighting for farm and ranch families. I'm thankful to each and every one of you who tune into this show each week. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so be sure to subscribe, share, and leave a review to let me know how you're liking the content and our guests. Until the next time we meet on the Dusty Trail, I'm Amanda Radke, and this is the Heart of Rural America.